Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dirty Talk podcast. For those of you who do not know who we are, because it's always somebody's first episode, right? It's always someone's first time. I know you really enjoy being someone's first time as well. I really, really, really do. Well, if this is your first time, I'm Chris, and joining me is the lovely... Rain de Grey. Hi, everyone. And you're listening to the Dirty Talk podcast, which you probably already know because it's you're called the Dirty Talk podcast. Right now, we have a great show for you today. Before we start, there's a little explanation that I want to give about the title of this show. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious. Lay it on me. This episode is called Alice Little and the Mystery of the Sex Island Aphrodisiac, right? So it's like an adult version of Nancy Drew? Well, they're two mutually exclusive things. We do have an interview with Alice Little coming up towards the second half of the show. And the Sex Island aphrodisiac mystery is a completely separate thing. I know people could get confused and read it as Alice Little and the mystery of the Sex Island aphrodisiac so Alice Little is not hanging out on the sex island full of aphrodisiac. Alice Little has nothing to do with sex island or aphrodisiacs that we know of. She has a lot to do with sex. Well, just in case anybody thinks that the two are connected, you should be reading the title of this episode, Alice Little and the Mystery of the Sex Island Aphrodisiac. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm sure Alice Little appreciates it. Exactly. That's why I'm doing this disclaimer, just in case nobody comes back and be like, hey, wait a minute. This has nothing to do with me or anything I've ever done. I am on the sex island and there is no Alice Little. What the fuck? Exactly. That being said, you ready to get right into it? I was born ready. All right. Let's go balls deep into this episode. Ooh. Before we start talking about this mysterious sex island and the aphrodisiac that quite possibly could be consumed on this island, we have some call-in questions for you. We always put out a call for call-in questions. Not all of the things that people call and leave are necessarily something we can use on an episode, but today we have a few that we can, so we are going to cover them. And a lot of times people just call and hang up when you don't answer. We get... I'd have to say a large, I'm not even going to give a percentage because it'll be kind of depressing. But if you listen to this podcast, we'll you just say a majority, a majority, I'm not going to go into percentages. But every time we do this podcast, we put in a call for questions and people call. Oh, yes, they do. And they leave no messages and they hang up when they realize I'm not going to pick up on the other end. Let me reiterate once again, it is just a service to leave your message, I will not be picking up. And if that's why you call, uh, you're going to be disappointed. I'm sorry about that. Before we do get to the questions, though, I do want to remind everybody that you can call in with your own questions or comments or anything else that's on your mind. And you might be featured on the podcast in the future. In order to do that, you just need to simply call our call-in phone line. And what is that call-in phone line, Mr. Gray? The call-in phone line is 614-733-4739. Or for the layman, you can just dial 614-R-DeGray. That is 614-R-D-E-G-R-E-Y. Ready for your first question? Oh, yes. 
Here you go. Oh, hi, Ryan. Um, okay. So there, there are a lot of people now who have come to prefer masturbation and pornography to having actual physical sex. And I would like to know what your opinion is of that, you know, and I'd like to see your uh, commentary later on. Thank you. Evidently, this gentleman didn't feel that that question was clear enough, so he felt the necessity to call in the next day to try and clarify this question. I am calling back because uh, it occurred to me that my uh, message might not be intelligible. Uh, my question was, um, I know there's an ongoing uh, social phenomena around the world where a lot of people are like giving up on having an actual physical relationship and they're turning to uh, strictly to pornography for their, you know, sexual needs. And I was interested in what uh, you would have to say about that, Rain DeGray. Um, thanks. Well, Mr. Gray, your thoughts on masturbation as a substitute for relationships. I'm actually really glad that you called in and asked this question. You are certainly not the first person to have thought of it. I've been asked variations of this question over the years, and there are a number of different factors happening here that I want to break down. In my mind, the first and most important factor is we are in a time of the internet. Never before in the entire course of human history have we had so much unfettered access to masturbatory material. There's so much porn on the internet, it's hard to avoid. Frankly, we're drowning in it. And here's the other thing. Relationships are tricky. Relating to other human beings is tricky. It's always been challenging for all of human history. It's been hard to find other people to relate to. But if you don't have an ocean of porn available, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, you had to make the effort of relating to other human being or masturbating. And of course, people did masturbate. But the fact that there is so much porn around, frankly, makes it easier. Even if I don't want to do a relationship, say you're like, okay, that's too much effort. I don't want to deal with the emotional entanglement. I'm horny. Let me go find a sex worker. Let me go to a strip club. Let me find an escort. Let me get a lap dance. Let me go to a massage parlor. That takes a lot of work. You got to get dressed. You got to leave your house. You got to go to the venue. It's probably going to cost a lot of money. And I personally believe that one of the reasons that more and more people are falling into the option of staying home in comfortable pajamas and you can pull up any single sexual thing you can possibly imagine from the comfort of your bed lying in pajamas. It takes effort to go meet another human being and if you go to have a sexual interaction with them it can be disappointing, it can be awkward, it could be expensive, not even if they're a sex worker, but if it's a relationship, you got to take someone out to dinner. They might expect presents. They want your time. 
Sitting at home in your pajamas masturbating is frankly one of the easiest ways that you can get your sexual urges met. And now that we have such a wealth of masturbatory fuel available, I'm in no way surprised that more people are opting not to do the effort of trying to bother with relationships. Frankly, I'm surprised that not more people are opting out of relationships and banging and just going to masturbation. And if things continue the way they are, I think it's going to be an ongoing trend. I personally believe that more people chose relationships and interacting with other people throughout human history because it was really the only option available. And it's very telling now that you have an easier option that more and more people are opting for that. I think it's kind of symptomatic as to where we're going as a society at large because you see that more and more people are choosing not to interact with other people face-to-face -face and are instead defaulting to interacting online. So it's not just in the sexual sphere, it's just in all human relations. People have isolated themselves more and more. And I also see as people do that, they also factionalize more and more. I don't think it's just that they're avoiding contact with people for sexual relations, but they're avoiding contact with people for all other sorts of human interactions. It is quite difficult when other people won't do the things that you want them to do. And that's the issue that arises in most relationships is that you're dependent on somebody else to come through on their end of it. I know how frustrating it is when everybody else out there in the world just won't bow to your requirements and your demands. I'm curious as to the future, we might be getting questions like, what do you think about people foregoing relationships to interact with their sex androids? Frankly, at a time of skyrocketing population, sex dolls might not actually be a bad way to go. Ready for the next question? I'm ready. Yes, hi. Um, do you live in Columbus, Ohio? That's where uh, 614 area code is. Just curious. Uh, my question is, how do you train a vanilla woman to become a submissive? Uh, very important question. How do you uh, how do you train someone to become submissive, or is it uh, something that they're born with? Thank you for the opportunity. Love your show. Bye. I do not actually live in Columbus, Ohio, but I have presented there in the past for Winter Wickedness and enjoyed myself quite a lot. The reason the call-in number has a 614 code is because it is a Google Voice number. To answer your question, this is a very common question that I get asked. It frankly astounds me how frequently men contact me wanting to know how they can turn a vanilla woman submissive. And while your question doesn't frame it in such a way, there are men that have reached out that are looking for psychological tricks, mind tricks, manipulation ways that they can do to trick a vanilla, non-kinky woman to get her started down the submissive path. And let me answer this for all people that are pondering it, not just men, but any person who is wondering how they could possibly convert and flip a vanilla person to make them kinky. It doesn't have to be a man looking to make a vanilla woman submissive. You're either born kinky or you're not. You either have the wiring or you don't. 
You could not be aware of the wiring. The wiring could be suppressed, but the inclination to be kinky is an inherent part of your makeup. And if you are a vanilla person, you cannot be flipped or persuaded or trained or tricked or manipulated or crafted or encouraged to become kinky. It's simply not going to work. You could possibly have a supposedly vanilla presenting partner that might have some submissive tendencies that could be developed, but if they're not there to begin with, there's nothing that you can do that can convert a vanilla person to being kinky. If a woman does not have some inherent submissive tendencies to begin with, there isn't any sort of encouragement or training that you're going to be able to lay on her that will cause her to blossom into a compliant submissive. You could be lucky. You could be with a partner who has some submissive tendencies and they could be encouraged and made to bloom. But if they're not there to begin with, there's nothing you can do to make tendencies bloom out of barren earth. It's just not going to happen. And I understand, like, it's, it's a hot fantasy. The, the reason that people keep writing into me wanting to know how they can turn their partner into a kinkster if they themselves are a kinkster and they're looking for a fellow kink partner, that, that seems amazing. Oh, if I could just find some way to bring it forth. No, here's the solution. Date other kinksters. Don't try and flip vanillas. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. And it can probably cause some resentment along the way. You know, I think this kind of circles back to what we were just talking about, how difficult it is to get other people to comply with the things you want. <laughs> True. Thanks for your calling questions. Again, if you want to call in and leave a question to have answered on a future podcast, that number is 614-733-4739, also known as... 614-R-DeGray. We'll be right back with Sex Island and their mysterious aphrodisiac. Ooh. From the sick and dirty minds that brought you such intriguing podcast episodes as Amateur Porn Group Play Dynamics with Naked Mole Rats, <laughs> Nina Hartley and the Search for Average Size Black Cock, Cock, and Karate Chopping Raccoons while Exploring Erotic Humiliation comes Dirty, dirty Talk, talk after, after Hours. That sounds intriguing. Want more of our witty banter? Why would you not? Want to know what we've been up to on a weekly basis? Of course you do. Want to listen to us go on strange adventures and invade small principalities off the coast of England? The answer is hell yes. Then you need to be listening to... Dirty, Dirty Talk After, after hours. hours. Tell me, Randy Gray, where could one find Dirty Talk After Hours? Why, all you would have to do is join my Patreon at $5 and up, and you will get exclusive access to Dirty Talk After, after hours. hours. If you want to hear what all the cool kids in your school are listening to, staying up late at night, then you definitely want to hear 
Dirty, Dirty talk, talk After, after hours. hours. I guess where we should start this was a while back, we were lying in bed and somehow the topic of this place, Sex Island. Came up and you started telling me about it. How would you describe it? Sex Island is... (laughs) Okay, I'm trying to find a way to phrase this because it's fucking crazy. Sex Island is a private tropical paradise of an island that is rented out. And the premise is for every one man, there is two women. And these women are available. You have a private yacht that takes you to this island, and the island has high-class food and parties and sports and snorkeling, but no one does any of those things. You go to Sex Island to have sex. The moment you get on the boat, you are allowed to pick the two women that you would like to be interacting with for the course of your trip. Those are your two women that you get to have. But the highlight of Sex Island is there is one event where you get to be one man in a room with 15 of the women, which sounds like orgasmic pleasure of absolute insanity. (laughs) Sounds like most every man's fantasy. Well, for only $5,000, you two could take part in this. Well, I might cough up the five grand for that. (laughs) But it's more than a yacht and a bunch of hot chicks and really fancy food. It is also a party island and there is access to all the drugs and alcohol you could possibly imagine. Well, according to their website, uh, they don't provide the drugs. Disclaimer. No. Disclaimer, they don't provide the drugs. According to their website, I went and looked around on their website after you told me about this. They say that the girls do not provide any drugs. However, there is a third party located very close by that will be able to provide you with any drugs that you might desire. So there is a boat docked off the island and they take a small rowboat to the boat that's docked off and you can purchase what you want and then paddle back to Sex Island? I think it's their way of covering their ass. They're saying, well, we're not going to give you drugs, but yeah, we got this guy that'll give you drugs. That's not affiliated with us in any way. No. Or the girls. So $5,000 for an island to ladies of the night or afternoon or daytime, whatever you're Or desire. all day long. All and day I've long. also heard that you can swap girls with the other guests at your leisure. If, if you want to do some swapping. And then at one point, everyone gives up at least one of their girls for the night in heaven where it's you with 15 women. That's way more holes than you can tackle. I, don't, I, mean, I guess you could line them up over a really long bed or something and then dip your way down. Like that's, that's a lot of holes. I've never been in a multiple person orgy like that. I'm sure the logistics get very complicated though. One dick and 15 women. Like I said, every man's fantasy, supposedly, but the reality might not live up to your expectations. I have found the hard way that reality usually does not live up to one's fantasy, and you have to be okay with that from the outset. Supposedly there's celebrities that are doing this as well. There was some Canadian... Some Canadian pop stars. Yeah, some Canadian pop star that actually did a performance. Who would that that be? Who was a Canadian pop star? Was it Drake? Justin Bieber. Uh, Maybe it was Justin Bieber. (laughs) 
This Disclaimer here, we have no evidence that Justin Bieber has ever been to Sex Island. <laughs> Don't get us in Just trouble. Just conjecture. <laughs> Let's stay away from Justin Bieber's legal team. A Canadian pop star was there to partake in Sex Island and did an impromptu show one of the evenings. What was fascinating to me when I started doing research on this island is not just a reasonably priced island full of hot chicks that are willing to do anything with you. It was the list of recreational substances that they had going on on this island. One of the substances, a powdery substance called toothy that you would snort that evidently gives you incredibly high libido boost, you become very turned on, incredibly horny, want to fuck everything. And I'd never heard of Toothy, and I mentioned it to you. And, and you... I said, I need to know more about this pink stuff that you snort that makes you incredibly horny and want to bone for hours. Since the dawn of human history, mankind has been fixated on trying to find aphrodisiacs. Whether it's Snails or, or chocolate or... Rhino horn. Rhino horn, whatever it was. We've always been looking for substances we can find that will make us horny and turned on. The holy grail of medicine is something that cures baldness and gives you a hard dick for days. And helps you lose weight and makes you tan. Well, you know, we might just have found that. What? Except for the hair loss. Okay. Do tell. Being the... Inc- incredibly curious individual that I am, I immediately set out to solve this mystery of what this toothy could be. I could find no other reference online to toothy or any sort of pink powder that you snort that makes you horny. What I did find was way more interesting than I ever anticipated. Care to enlighten us? It all starts with alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone. Alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone, the collective name for a group of peptide hormones produced by the skin, pituitary gland, and hypothalamus. Produced in response to UV radiation. Plays a key role in producing colored pigmentation found in the skin, hair, and eyes. It does this by inducing specialized skin cells called melanocytes to produce a pigment called melanin can also suppress appetite by acting on the receptors in the hypothalamus in the brain. Also has an effect on sexual behavior. Starting back in the 1960s, they started intensely studying alpha-MSH to see if they could find a way to stimulate and control sexual behavior in rats. Scientists spend a lot of time paying attention to rats having sex, yes. They do. And what they found was that the subcutaneous injections of this increased lordosis behavior in the female rats. What exactly is lordosis behavior? Lordosis behavior is essentially when a mammal is in heat. Have you ever seen a cat or a mouse or a rat in heat? I have a cat who's been in heat and has been yowling outside my bedroom window at three in the morning for the past couple of days, desperately begging for cock. And I really wish she'd get laid because it's so loud and annoying and I can't sleep. If there's any willing cat cock out there, please go to Rain's house. (laughs) Hook this desperate cat up, man. She is in need. It's also called presenting. They lower down. They raise their haunches, essentially making their partner aware that they are ready for copulation. So they're waving their genitals about. 
pretty much saying, hey, look at me over here. I'm already, look at me, I wanna be mounted. This is a reflex that a lot of mammals have when they are ready to be mated and they go into heat. Human beings don't do it anymore. We don't go into heat. Some of the research I found was that it's because of the increased corticalization of the brain, which basically means that our brains have gotten really big and this instinct has been bred out of us. We don't go into this lidorsis anymore. We're just horny and available to mate all the time. Pretty much on a monthly basis. Along with the elimination of lidorsis, we also aren't necessarily receptive to different pheromones or hormones anymore. Mating isn't just an instinctual act. There's a lot more involved mentally with human beings when we mate. A 2017 study where they tracked eye movement found that the slight thrusting out of a woman's back influences how attractive others perceive her to be. So they think that there is a latent lodorsis signal in our brain. The reflexive lodorsis posture is not exhibited by human females and receptivity is not passive or obligatory. For them, a manifestation of lumbar curvature might serve a vestigial remnant of communicative signal between men and women. So if a woman is arching her back out and shoving out her butt, people will find her more attractive because of this latent lidorsis. Interesting. What about poor people like me with few spines who can't shove out their butt at all? There was an anthropologist named Helen Fisher who speculates that the reason why we find high heels attractive is because it raises the butt and kind of forces people's backs and asses out in that curved way. Oh, so it's mimicking the posture of rats in heat. Yep. And since there is that latent connection in our brain, we find that art back and protruding posterior attractive because it reminds us of sexy times. I should say, whenever I'm standing near anyone that's shaped like a jelly bean and has that arch back and the butt protruding out, it's very, very, very captivating. I didn't know that it was speaking to some deep and primal part of my brain, but that makes sense. This brings us to the University of Arizona, of course. When I think sexy times, I think the University of Arizona every time, of course. In 1995, the University of Arizona were looking for a defense against skin cancer. That's a noble goal. I'm down with that. Well, this makes sense because prior to this, Arizona was a desert, but now you have all these Caucasian people migrating to the desert. And what do Caucasians do in the desert? Get cancer. Well, they burn because they're not used to that harsh desert sun. Yes, cancer. They all get skin cancer. Come on now. So they were trying to come up with some sort of formula that they could give people to cause an artificial tan in order to protect them from the harsh UV rays. All these poor white people in the (laughs) desert. Of course, the researchers at the University of Arizona started looking into the alpha MSH because of its effect on stimulating melanin production. This ties into Sex Island how? I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. Enter Melanotan 1. It's a synthetic analog of alpha MSH, and it was the world's first 
injectable sunless tanning agent. Melanotan tube was the next formulation that they discovered. Melanotan two is where things start to get really interesting. And tan, very tan. Yes. During early research, one of the scientists who was conducting experiments on himself accidentally injected twice the dose he had intended and got an eight-hour erection. <laughs> so he's looking to get tan, but he shoots himself with his stuff, and all of a sudden his dick is hard for eight hours. Okay, first off, what sort of scientist is randomly injecting himself? Like, I, I get it, he's very committed to science, but... Uh, you got. I'm. I'm very amused, and and also eight hours of erection sounds like that could be troubling. You could have some blood issues. But along with his eight hour erection, he also experienced extreme nausea and vomiting. So he's got a boner, and he can't stop puking. Yep, I could just imagine him in the bathroom, just rock hard what? dick puking into the toilet. <laughs> what the hell? In the name what? of science, boy. <laughs> Further study of this new compound found that it not only produced a nice tan like Melanotan 1, it also had some side effects. Like eight-hour boners? Yeah. Unlike Melanotan 1, it also appeared to facilitate weight loss, increase sexual appetite, and act as an anti-inflammatory too. Now you're just kidding. Nope. It was quickly labeled the Barbie drug. <laughs> my thought was, shut up and take my money. <laughs> I think that would be many people's thoughts. I'm sure that all these researchers at the University of Arizona just started seeing dollar signs in their eyes. Were they all tan and thin with aroused genitals? Just horny, tan, incredibly in shape people <laughs> that were not inflamed. <laughs> Well, you don't want to be inflamed. That's bad news bears. They incorporated the help of a company called Competitive Technologies, which specializes in licensing intellectual property. Competitive Technologies sold the rights to a New Jersey company called Palatin Technologies to work on further developing it as a sexual dysfunction agent. However, Palatin Technologies saw what they had and they said to themselves, oh, no, 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 no. We're not just going to develop this melanotan too there's something going on here because it's making people horny it's making people tan and it's making people lose weight and in their mind if you could bring three different products to market that would do these different things it would be far more profitable than bringing just this one product to market right oh so they were gonna take it and divide it up yeah they wanted those to research sneaky it. fuckers cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, no, I see it from a cha-ching perspective. So in the year 2000, Palatin ceased working on Melanotan 2 altogether, and they started researching to break down the different components that would cause these different effects. Competitive technologies found out what they were doing, and they sued Palatin for breach of contract because they said, hey, hey, what's going on? We hired you guys to research this product so we could bring it to market. Palatin took it, started dividing it up and making their own compounds, which were chemically different enough that they could acquire patents on these new chemicals. Oh, I'd be furious. That's so sneaky and fucked up. Of course, Competitive Technologies sues them for breach of contract and says, no, we're the rightful owners of all these new chemicals that you've created. Well, yeah, because they wouldn't have been creating them without them getting the formula first. 
One of the very first compounds Palatin came up with was something they called peptide 141, or PT-141 for short. When they first started testing this new substance, PT-141, the results were extremely exciting. No pun intended. Exciting how? As one of the head researchers explains it, You dose and you watch and you count every time the penis of a subject rat emerges stiff and ready. Observers mark down the event in a notebook. The subject, all naive adults whose last contact with a female was on the day their mothers weaned them, seem to have, if anything, slightly less curiosity about their spontaneously generated boners than the researchers. So are you getting this? <laughs> so you go to school and you work really hard and you get a degree yeah. and you become a scientist. Yeah. And then you hang out in a lab. In your and, white coat. Well, very important to have a white coat. Of course. And you wait for male rats to be born, yep. and the second the male rats are off the teat, you separate them from the mother, keep them completely isolated. You've got to make sure they have no contact with female rats whatsoever. And then you take these virgin, inexperienced boy rats and inject them full of chemicals that give them rat boners. Big, hard rat boners, yep. Throbbing, throbbing rat And then boners. it's your job to sit there with your clipboard... And mark every time the rat gets a hard on. <laughs> uh, I worked hard for my degree. And Boner is, number 57. Exactly. This is what you do day in and day out to test the substance. You know how you take your work home with you? Even when you're at home, you're thinking about work. I'm wondering if these scientists were at home trying to sleep and in their mind they're counting rat boners and they can't even stop themselves. <laughs> It'd be like counting sheep, right? But instead, it's virgin rat boners hopping over a fence. I close my eyes and all I see is rat cock. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering how this conversation works out with their parents. Like, oh, we spent all this money sending you to school. And what are you doing with that expensive education? Counting rat boners, ma. They also started testing this PT-141 on female rats as well. And the tests were just as promising. They'd showed a marked increase in sexual solicitation behavior, returning after copulation, and female mounting behavior. Female mounting? Female mounting. So it's a rare thing that a female rat would mount a male rat in anticipation for sex. But if you see some of the studies that we're linking to, you'll see that it basically skyrockets on some of the higher doses where there is no female mounting behavior or whatever, and then they give them a decent dose of this stuff, and they're just jumping on the males, begging for it. <laughs> so they're running around dry-humping the men. They're so desperate for the dick. Yeah. Wow. Of course, they realized what they had if it was working on both females and males, and again, dollar signs in the eyes. That would be the holy grail of things that make women desperate for dick enough to fling themselves on men? Yep. And they were embroiled in this lawsuit with competitive technologies, which they eventually won for the low, low bargain basement price of $800,000. They won the lawsuit. They won the That's lawsuit fucked because up. the chemicals were molecularly different enough that they were separate compounds from the original Melanotan 2. Once they had complete monopoly over this stuff, they, of course, wanted to get FDA approval so they could sell it to the general public. 
they developed a nasal spray in hopes of getting FDA approval to use it as an ED treatment, erectile dysfunction. The trials were going really well. Some of the subjects were quoted as saying, On a five-point scale, the erection I had, I would rate a six. With PT-141, you feel good. Not only sexually aroused, you feel younger and more energetic. It helped the libido. So you have the urge and the desire. You got this humming feeling. You're ready to take your pants off and go. Twice? Me and my wife had sex twice in one night. I came into work the next day and raved about it. Jesus, guys. I'm 58 years old. I just don't do that. Woman involved in the clinical trial reported. Genital warmth, tingling and throbbing, and a strong desire to have sex. I can't imagine what having a drug on the market that you could take that would instantly make you horny and throbbing and desirous would have on the population as a whole. I mean, that would have a significant impact. If you think about it, too, the big difference between this new substance, the PT-141, and things like Viagra or Levitra was that the other drugs that they currently had on the market for erectile dysfunction only worked on the circulatory system. They increased blood flow to the penis. They didn't necessarily make you horny, whereas Um. this stuff that they were testing made you horny and it worked on both men and women equally. That's insane. Say that one more time. Just that this this is a chemical compound that could be released into the market that could do what? Worked on both men and women and not only caused erections, but also made you horny and want to have tons of sex. It was going to be a game changer. That's a, a multi-billion dollar formula. This brings us to 2007. What happens in 2007? This new substance, which they had renamed bramelanotide, was about to enter phase three clinical trials for FDA approval. What are phase three clinical trials? It's the very last clinical trial step before you apply for the drug to be available to the general market and the FDA decides yay or nay. Okay, so that's serious then. Yeah, it was basically on the verge of getting approved. It seemed like it was going to be a a juggernaut destined to be unleashed on the public. A sexual dysfunction panacea ready to spark a new sex revolution. Are we ready for passion on demand with a simple sniff from a tube? Will PT-141 usher in the age of McNookie? Quick, easy coupling, low on emotional nutrition. Sex lives tailored to the mans of a jealous office or an impatient spouse. A dark age of erotic self-ignorance, tarted up in the bright colored packaging of a Happy Meal. Or is it just the thing needed to heal rocky marriages? Eliminating the issue of sexual incompatibility from the top of the most common marriage problems list. The world waits and sees. All this speculation was for naught, though, because it never went into phase three trials. Why would something that's obviously worth a multi-billion dollars not make it into phase three trials? According to the press release published at the end of August 2007, After reviewing the data generated in the phase one 
and Phase II studies, the FDA questioned the overall efficacy results and the clinical benefits of this product in both the general and diabetic ED populations, citing blood pressure increases as its greatest safety concern. Though not supportive of the proposed Phase three studies for ED with bremelanotide, the FDA stated that it was amenable to the proposals for a different drug development pathway, such as for a second-line therapy in non-responders to currently approved PDE5 inhibitors. Essentially, what they're saying here is we're not going to approve it for erectile dysfunction treatments, but we may be open to approving it in a different way for other dysfunctions, just not ED. They weren't very specific. Uh, they yeah, just that's said, very There's vague. not going to be any phase three trials of this stuff. We're putting an end to it, which was extremely controversial to the people following it at the time. They were completely surprised and outraged by this development. Concerned about blood pressure hadn't been brought up until this point. There was nowhere else that I could find any information about there being a concern about blood pressure up to this decision by the FDA. It sounds like blood pressure concerns were an excuse they used Possibly to suppress something. According to some insider reports coming out of the company after this decision, maybe 2% of the test population experienced any increase in blood pressure. 2%, but way more percentage have really nasty side effects off Viagra. That's what further compounded their confusion because Viagra, which was, of course, going to be one of the main drugs that this new drug was going to be competing with, had a whole huge list of side effects on the 100 milligram dose of Viagra. 28% of the people that took it experienced headaches, 18% experienced flushing. And 11% had abnormal vision, which ranged anywhere from a slight color tinge to temporary blindness. What also confused me was that there was a report from CNN about melanotan 2 in 1999 when they started studying it for its sexual assistance benefits. And the report states, Does not appear to affect blood pressure adversely, as Viagra can. So... Its promoters say it should be safe for just about anyone. Some people even speculated that Pfizer, who of course is the maker of Viagra, might have had a hand in influencing the FDA's decision about bramolenotide. They were already losing some market share because these new drugs like Cialis and Levitra had been approved and they worked in the same way that Viagra worked. And of course, if this new drug was going to blow them all out of the water and make you horny and give you a hard dick, they were basically being threatened of losing the $1.7 billion they were going to be making per year on Viagra. I would say that over a billion dollars is a pretty strong motivating factor, yes. Other people pointed to the fact that the FDA said that they were open to, quote unquote, other avenues of developing this drug unrelated to the general ED market. So essentially, don't touch the blue awesomeness of Viagra. And as long as you 
leave Viagra alone, we will let you go forward on this? Well, this is just speculation here. We can't say that Pfizer actually did this, but there mm. could be a strong case against it. Mm. If I had $1.7 billion a year in profits that I was mm. making off something, I think I would do something to protect that. Legally, we're not saying that Pfizer did it. Off the record... Unfortunately, it looked like PT-141 bremelanotide was dead in the water. <gasps> A tragedy! However, However, there is a new hope. New hope? Palatin's response to the FDA's decision not to move forward with the phase three testings was extremely odd, I would say. In what way? They released every bit of information they had about this substance to the general public. The fuck you say? Every little bit of research. They also released the exact molecular structure of it and how to sequence it. Just onto the wilds of the internet, Just anyone could have it. Saying, here you go, scientists out there, this is what we discovered, this is what we were working with. A lot of people thought this was basically a big middle finger F you to the FDA. Right, well, that would certainly appear to be so. Because with all this research and the ability to sequence it, scientists in other countries could start making it for themselves. But bam And selling it themselves. Right? And what did people do when this formula was released? They started making it themselves and selling it themselves overseas. No shit. Yeah. And in 2008, an Iranian scientist started doing his own clinical studies with it, pretty much simulating what the phase three trials would have been, giving the substance to men and women to take home and try multiple doses on their own and was getting incredible results with the increase in libido that they were seeing across the board. Wow. Based on this, Palatin decided that they were going to go back to the drawing board and see what they could do about trying to bring this to market in the U.S. What they did do was reformulate it into a subcutaneous injection that comes in an auto-injector shot that people push a button and injects it into the fat layer of their belly. When they released the phase one trials of this new route of administration with the auto-injectors, they found that there was no evidence of increased blood pressure at all. Wow. Based on these positive results. Very positive results. They decided they're going to go back to the FDA and try again to get approval for this drug. But this time not as an ED treatment, because that didn't go so well the first time. They want to get it licensed as a treatment for female sexual disorder. Oh, through the back door, as it were. <laughs> yes, through the lady's back door. Uh-huh. Because once they bring it to market, then they can also maybe use it for other off-label uses, or it might be easier to get it approved for the ED market, especially now since Viagra has gone generic and you can essentially order it anywhere now. This brings us to present day. Just last year, 2018, Palatin filed a new drug application 
with the FDA to get the approval of this bremelonotide to be used for female sexual dysfunction. They're going to be releasing it under the brand name Vilesi, V-Y-L-E-E-S-I, however you want to pronounce that, Vilesi. And it's going to come in the auto-injector pen and people can dose themselves up. Wow. That brings us to the end of our story. I have no idea where it's going to be going from here, but I am going to be following this intently to see how it all turns out. This stuff come to market. It's, is it going to start the new sexual revolution? We'll see. All of this because I told you about Sex Island and Toothy that people snort. Yep. So let me <laughs> recap this. It all starts because people want to get tan and not go out in the sun because they live in Arizona and they're white. This sunless tanning agent makes it so that you get massive hard-ons if you take too much of it. A company decides they're going to study it. They steal the formula from the people that license it to them saying, no, this is a brand new formula. We are going to do it ourselves. It makes rats really horny. They count their boners and say, Eureka, we found it. They try to bring it to market. The FDA says, ah, 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 I think you're maybe you're infringing on other people here that have a lot of money. <laughs> and in a roundabout way, it gets released to the general public and people can buy it in other countries except for the U.S., but it might be coming back to market to help women that have lost the horny. Thank you, Arizona. There you go. I don't know if that is this mysterious toothy stuff that they were snorting on Sex Island, but it that has is, to be. That it is as close as I could get to finding okay. out what toothy is. Toothy is. You want to hear my theory? Is that that formula that they released out into the wilds of the internet? Someone down in Columbia got it, turned it into a powder and something you can snort to make you super horny, and then said, "I know we can sell it to." Rich Americans who want to come to a private exotic island and bang a bunch of escorts. Could possibly be. If there's anything else that develops, you'll be sure to know that the Dirty Talk podcast will be following all developments of PT-141. We're on the case. Just in case our listeners are not already aware, we don't just do a podcast. We also do a bi-monthly advice column. If you haven't had a chance yet, I encourage you to go to raindegray.com where you can listen to all the past episodes of the Dirty Talk podcast as well as check out the Dirty Talk advice column. I also have other articles up there, the classes that I'm doing, and all of my social media. If you want to keep abreast on all of my doings, you can also go to the website and sign up for my monthly newsletter. Okay, so where are you? Here. Hello? Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? We're doing A little while well. ago, we, we had the pleasure of sitting down and chatting with this woman. Today. Hello, I am Alice Little, and I am the country's most successful legal sex worker, and I work out of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Carson City, Nevada. The most successful. I am the most successful legal sex worker in the entirety of North America, even, which <gasps> is kind of insane to say, but I recently found out that it is so. Is this success based on monetary success or yes. number of patrons served? Um, based off of um, monetary success as well as number of requests. 
Tell us what the Bunny Ranch is and how you would describe it to somebody that had never heard of it before. So the Moonlight Bunny Ranch is one of America's legal brothels. Here in America, we do in fact have a form of legal sex work. It exists only in Nevada and only through the legal brothels. A brothel is a licensed property that is specifically dedicated for the expressed purpose of legalized sex work. Each lady working at the brothel has her own individual license, which she obtains from the sheriff, and part of that process actually involves an FBI fingerprint and background check. Not a lot of people realize this, but it's actually quite difficult to become a legal sex worker in Nevada. In fact, we recently found out that it is more difficult to become a legal sex worker in Nevada than it is to become a deputized sheriff in Nevada. There are more strict requirements upon the legal sex workers than any other profession. Wow. Do you need to do STD testing and everything? We do. One of our legal requirements is weekly STD and STI testing. Each week, we receive a vaginal swab, and then each month, we additionally do a blood test for HIV. What sort of things would disqualify someone if they were trying to go through the background check in order to be a legal sex worker? Interestingly enough, there are quite a lot of things that would disqualify you from being a legal sex worker, one of which is a charge for illegal prostitution. So if you have ever been caught working illegally, you become disqualified from working legally. Additionally, you cannot have any money laundering charges. You cannot have any back tax or tax-related charges. You cannot have any drug-related charges, any theft-related charges, no felonies, and you cannot be behind on child support if that's something you are legally required to pay. So it's a very extensive process in order to meet the requirements. You have to be fairly squeaky clean. Mm-hmm, 100%. And as a part of the background check, you have to document any and all instances, including traffic tickets, that you may have received in the past five years. It's really an exhaustive process. <laughs> Wait, you have to disclose your traffic tickets? Yes. Any wow. violations, you are supposed to disclose anything and everything just in case because if you miss something and it shows up on your record, for example, you get pulled over and your insurance is out of date. Well, you have to make note of that because it could show up on your record. And that, if it's not documented, would be a disqualifier from being able to work legally. So a literal unpaid parking ticket could disqualify someone if they do not mention it as part of their background check. You would lose your whole livelihood just because of one missed infraction. Precisely. So it really is an extensive process that they take quite seriously. It's handled by the local sheriff's department. And we pride ourselves on the fact that we abide by this incredibly stringent set of laws. Do you think that they make it so difficult as to dissuade people from joining the profession? I'm not so sure if it's to dissuade people from joining the profession so much as those rules were put into place slowly but surely over time due to various perceptions about sex workers. Unfortunately, we are not immune to sex work stigma out here in Nevada just because it's legal. As such, the perception that sex workers may be criminal 
or criminals is a very real and very inaccurate perception. As such, as part of the legislation, they specifically wrote it into the code. So this way, if somebody has such a perception, we are able to point to that legislation and go, actually, we all passed an FBI background check to work here. I don't know about you and your job, but I know what the requirements are for mine, and they are very, very stringent. Nobody can call into question who we are and our professionalism that way. If someone were visiting the ranch for the first time, how would you describe the experience to be? Well, there are two different ways that you can go about visiting a legal sex worker at the Bunny Ranch. The first way is to set up an appointment in advance. You would go to our website, bunnyranch.com, and peruse through the various ladies' photos. You would then have the opportunity to email whichever lady you're interested in, so this way you can get to know her a little bit. You figure pictures are, of course, a nice visual start to see if there's a connection there. But then you have the opportunity to connect with her over email, too. Certain ladies, such as myself, are only available by appointment. Because I have so many incoming requests, I choose to see just one person each day, and so I connect with everyone over email first. Other ladies might be available during lineup, which is the other way that you could connect with a lady. Let's say you look at the website and you're not quite sure who you're interested in, and you just want to see who happens to be available that day. So you'll come up to the front gate and you'll ring the bell. Once you come inside, they will double-check your ID to validate that you are of legal age, and then they will do what is called an all-call, where you'll hear a literal bell ring. This allows all of the ladies on shift to know that there is company. Lineups are the process by which the ladies come to the parlor, stand in a line, and then introduce themselves by name to the guest. At that point, after all the ladies have introduced themselves, you'll have an opportunity to take one or more ladies out of lineup and then go on a tour of the facilities. You'll then get to see the whole property, which is quite large, before heading back to the ladies' suite, where you will then negotiate price and services. Of course, keep in mind that you always have the opportunity to go back out to the parlor, have another tour with a different lady, because all the ladies are independent contractors, and as such, all of the ladies do set their own rates and offer whichever services they so choose. Do you ever find people coming in and just window shopping? Every once in a while, yes. The Bunny Ranch is a world-famous location, and as such, we do have tourists that come by wanting to see the property. We always encourage people to come in. Tours are absolutely free and are not obligatory. However, if you choose to take a tour, you're always encouraged to tip the ladies for their time just to say thank you because, again, we're all independent contractors and no one is paid hourly out of the legal sex workers. A majority of them live at the ranch? Not so much live at the ranch. There are two different options when it comes to working at the Bunny Ranch. The first option is for those that live locally, such as myself. We have the ability to come in, work the duration of our shift or the duration of our appointment, and then return home. Other ladies who live out of state will instead travel to Nevada, work for two to four weeks before returning home to their home state. When they are not on shift, they can either stay on the property or travel anywhere they so want in Nevada. We do have drivers available for taking the ladies around. And of course, we do not limit anybody as far as where they're allowed to travel. 
certain counties do place limitations, believe it or not, on the lady's ability to travel while off shift. Certain counties require the ladies to remain on the brothel location for the duration of her tour. Those are called lockdown brothels, because quite literally, the ladies have to remain on the premise. Thankfully, though, in Lyon County, where I work, it is not such, and as such, we are able to travel and, of course, return home at the end of our shift. How many legal brothels are there in Nevada? Oh my gosh, the number right now I want to say is 18 that are currently open and licensed. There are two different kinds of brothels. There are major brothel locations, the most famous of which is the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. And then there are rural brothels, which are out in smaller counties in Nevada. Usually those are often outskirt counties such as Elko and Battle Mountain. You are a firecracker. You're a total dynamo. And you're also four foot eight and you look very young obviously you don't have a young brain you have a lot of drive in you do you ever find that there are people that want to session with you or are attracted to you because of how young you appear and if so is that something that makes you uncomfortable or are you okay with it oh i'm very very comfortable in my own skin i swear i have looked the same since i was 12 it's kind of ridiculous but at the end of the day, the reality is, is that my clients seek me out not for my looks, not for my youthful appearance, not for my height, not for my red hair. They seek me out for my intelligence and my ability to connect on a really genuine and unique level. With that being said, I am open to age play requests. So long as everybody is going into it safe, sane, and consenting, I am open to exploring any fantasies. That's the beauty of it. It is a place where we get to make fantasies happen, even those that others might consider taboo. The reality is, is that it is a fantasy. We're in a space where you know I am not underage. Legally, to work at that location, I had to pass a background check, which includes being of age, of course. So if we choose to engage in age play in a purely fantastical setting, why not explore it? It's a safe place to do so. I couldn't agree more. Is that one of the more common requests that you get? Not at all. I very infrequently get that request. What would you say the uh, most common request you have as a provider is? I am most frequently requested for, and I most enjoy providing the girlfriend experience. I kind of loathe to call it the girlfriend experience because it's become so stereotyped on TV and with the TV shows these days. But that true, genuine, face-to-face, -face, interpersonal connectivity, that, that romance, that's what I love. Does anybody ever ask for the uh, true girlfriend experience where you just lay in bed and eat snacks and watch Netflix? I have definitely done that on more than one occasion, <laughs> and it is so much fun. While wearing sweatpants? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's another, like, it's a common misconception that all sex workers wear lingerie. I almost never wear lingerie. More often than not, I'm either in a nice dress or in a sweater if it's wintertime. Like I said, it's really darn cold out there. I am not parading around in a bra and panties in 15-degree weather. That's ridiculous. I and would it's hope that the ranch could afford some sort of central heating. <laughs> yeah, that too. We definitely have good heating system. Thank goodness for that. 
<laughs> but yeah, there's always this this misconception that it's all hypersexual and that it's all about the sex and more often than not, it's about everything but the sex. It's about the conversation and the communication and the connection that we get to make. It's about exploring yourself and getting to know yourself better and learning how to get to know somebody else and then connecting in that setting and seeing what the two of you feel like and what the two of you have in common and getting to explore this amazing moment in time together and being present in the moment. Like, that's what it's really about. It's really not about the sex, but it's the cuddling. It's all the rest of it, too. I couldn't agree more as someone who is a sex provider, uh, it wasn't about the sex. For so many men, having that moment where they can just not feel judged and they can relax and not have to think about work, that's what it was about. It wasn't about the sex. Sex workers are therapists, and I don't think that people realize quite how much we're therapists. That yes, part of it is fucking, but a lot of it is therapy. It is. It, it's a lot of emotional labor, and so much of it really comes down to getting to make a safe place happen, especially when it comes to gentlemen. In society, we don't allow men to feel things. We don't allow them to feel joy or sadness, arousal or happiness. We limit their emotional spectrum to professionalism. And that's it. If you are a man, you got to be a manly man. And the result is guys oftentimes don't get to have that intimate space where they talk about their feelings and talk about the frustrations of their day in such a sweet human capacity that I feel like comes more naturally for women. We have that shared intimacy with each other at that uh, friendship level. A lot of us have that sisterhood with each other. Whereas I think that guys miss out on a lot of that because of that macho man stigma that we we build up to them in America, that as a result, we limit their emotional development. And so there's there's no opportunity created for release of emotionality or expression of emotionality. And it's so unfortunate. And it. I think it's a lot to do with why we see so much violence in this country, too, is because we have a lot of lonely, sad and hurting people that just want to be listened to and understood. I've always had a theory that the only three ways that men can get physical contact is fighting, fucking and sports. And as women, we have the privilege of being able to connect to people physically and mentally and emotionally with much more ease. We don't give men the permission to relax and be vulnerable. And it's a, such a heavy burden to have to be a manly man at all times. It really, really is. And God, I, I feel so much so, especially for my clients that are business professionals. A lot of them express the same feelings of having to hold face all the time and they can't just be themselves. And as a result, they feel trapped and they feel lonely. And it makes them very isolated. And that's the beauty of legal sex work is that it creates a safe space for someone to come in discreetly, have that connection and have that moment with someone. I mean, how badly do we all want that for ourselves in our lives? All of us do. It's innate human need. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even on Maslow's hierarchy of needs in psychology. We recognize it psychologically 
but societally, we won't address the sex need. We'll recognize that there's a need for mental health, and so we have mental health professionals, and we recognize that there's a physical health need, and so we have doctors and nurses, and, oh, there's spiritual health needs, so we've got all of these religious leaders. But then when it comes to sex and intimacy, it's like, all right, America, good luck. Would you like to see sex work completely legalized across all platforms? Absolutely. I think long term, we do need decriminalization. But realistically, the first step is legalization. And that looks like the expansion of the system that we have in Nevada. We have something that we have data on that we know works and benefits local communities. I personally ran the numbers and we accounted for 30% of our local county's discretionary budget for the year. Something like $500,000. We were the entirety of the vehicle budget for the sheriff's department. Like tremendous impact. And that's just four brothels in rural Nevada. Imagine what that would look like in all 50 states. You I think it would- One third of their entire discretionary budget. Yep. If it wasn't for the legal brothels in Nevada, our cops would be riding around on wild Mustangs and bicycles. Well, because there's not much other industry out there in rural Nevada, is there? (laughs) That's it. There's us and gambling. I have two more questions. Lay those questions on us. What do you got? First question. Uh, Alice Little, is the name a nod to Lewis Carroll? It is 110% a nod to Lewis Carroll. I am a huge Alice in Wonderland fan. I love the whole conceptualization of his creation. And when it came to being a legal sex worker, I decided to go ahead and, well, I wanted to use a name that I was familiar with. So I went with Alice, which is my middle name. And then when it came to a last name, Liddell, Little, play on words and some petite, I thought it would be a lot of fun. Four foot eight. (laughs) Yes, you know, it would kind of be ridiculous to be, you know, Alice Giantess at four foot eight. I feel like that would not work so well. And my final question is one that I have been asking people since I was a teenager When does bread become toast? When does bread become toast? after it is exposed to a significant enough heat element that it texturally changes at a molecular level? I don't know. That's a good attempt at a scientific explanation. Super attempt. That's not an attempt. That's success. That was success. (laughs) I say success. Pseudo-technical. I mean, I'll go for like the most literal possible explanation. She used molecular, so I, I'd say that that passes. That's There's no right answer to that question. That was the right answer. It's just a good gauge of getting an understanding of somebody's mind and how it works. And now I kind of have an understanding of where your mind's at. <laughs> it involves molecules. Well, Alice, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Dirty Talk podcast. I really enjoyed myself. You are articulate, are insightful. You have so much to say. Is there anything that you would like to share or promote or pitch before we wrap for today? Anyone interested in learning more about me and my services is welcome to check me out on my website, www.thealicelittle.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter, which I send out once a month with different articles, helpful information, fun photos, and so much more. 
I am also on Twitter at the Alice Little and on Instagram at the Alice Little Official. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I really uh, had fun and I hope to have you back. You were an amazing guest. Yes, It'll certainly be my pleasure awesome. and it has certainly been my pleasure talking with you both. You are so freaking cool. This was so much fun. <laughs> oh, shucks. Thanks, lady. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode of the Dirty Talk podcast in the bag. I know so much more about rat boners. Well, I also hope that you found all my research into PT-141 interesting. I did very much so. Let's hope, fingers crossed, that there'll be more development into that. And it will be released to the horny, horny masses. (laughs) If they weren't horny, they will be afterwards. Hopefully, if it works as advertised. I cannot believe. But if it does work as advertised, it will change everything. It will make people horny so they'll be boning more and we'll have even more humans on the planet? Well, hopefully they'll be doing protected safe sex. Right. Yeah. Humans are very good at that. The pill was the last big sexual revolution that happened, and this could add to what the pill started. So no babies and very horny and possibly quite tan. Well, PT-141 doesn't cause a tan. Oh. It just gives you big rock hard dick. Booyah. And I guess makes the women want to mount the men. (laughs) (laughs) Like horny rats. (laughs) We also want to thank Alice Little for stopping by and chatting with us. That was fascinating. I find her a very intriguing person, and she's definitely kicking ass in her chosen field. She is, and I know you were kind of crushing on her a little bit because of how accomplished she is and just her perky overall can-do attitude in nature. Yeah, yeah. She's very driven and focused and badass and doing things, and I respond well to that sort of energy. Yeah, maybe we'll have her back on some point in the future. Definitely. If you've been enjoying this podcast and want to share it with your friends, please do. We would love all the exposure you can give us. I do want to put out my challenge that I put out at the end of all these episodes, going back a few episodes, that if you do like it, please challenge you to tell at least one person. At least one, if not more. Yeah, you can always tell more. You're not limited to more. Just at least one. That's the challenge that we're putting out. If you like what we're doing here, you find the information intriguing, share it with your friends. And you can find the podcast at? iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Please follow, rate, and review. Yep. The more rates and reviews we get, the more people can find it. Thanks for joining us. Till next time. Bye.